Hi, and welcome to Film Trooper Presents Film Marketing Fridays, and today is August 22nd, and I'm your host, Scott McMahon, and um, yeah, this one is a little bit more impromptu. In fact, um, as you can see, um, I have kind of a bare, there's no books behind me. <laughs> so uh, my family and I have been pretty busy uh, getting ready for this move, so this will be the last time you see this background, and then... Um, you know, moving forward, it'd be a different uh, setup, which would be nice uh, to finally get settled into a new place. And um, yeah, so that's why you see this. And if you hear a little bit of an echo in the mic, it's because when you remove everything in a room, um, and you know, the sound just has that echo because it's a straight bounce off the wall and there's nothing to absorb it, except for I have these little pillows from my daughter's room that. Um, that seemed to soften the, the sound. <laughs> um, yeah, so I just want to get into, this is actually really, really impromptu, uh, today's session. Last week, um, a couple weeks ago, about two, eh, I think a week and a half, there was an article in Forbes magazine, uh, or Forbes.com, um, from Schuler M. Moore, who is one of the most prominent uh, entertainment lawyers for years in Hollywood. And he wrote a uh, blog post that said, um, Netflix will cause the implosion of foreign pre-sales. And I tend to agree, um, or very, very curious about that, of, of whether or not that will actually happen. And it was quite, a, it was kind of a good um, discussion. I was reading a lot of stuff on Facebook, on Google+, on uh, Twitter, and it was just really neat to hear people's uh, opinions in the comments section. And I had a really good dialogue um, with certain filmmakers uh, online as well, just sort of... Um, open to discussion of um, the realities of this. So let me just show you kind of like what my thoughts are in that process and what that means in terms of film marketing, independent filmmakers, and whatnot. Um, so we'll click over here to the screen share. So when it says what is the implosion of pre-sales, um, Again, the headline was like, "Will Netflix will cause the implosion of foreign pre-sales?" And this is the um, the link that you can grab. Um, and we'll jump over here to um, the actual site, so just so you can actually see the actual article. And a lot of cumbersome as I have to flip through here. Okay, so screen share again. We go to screen share. Oh, it's me. So. Back to the screen that I'm going to show you. Yeah, so what you can see, this is Mr. Schuler Moore and his article, Netflix will rip the heart out of pre-sale film financing. So it may not necessarily be the implosion, um, but that's a pretty good effective uh, title, isn't it? Rip the heart out of pre-sale. And when you get a chance, you can read the article. But the I think the important thing here is the concept of understanding what is foreign pre-sale, how does that work with independent film, especially if you're micro-budget film or just in general, um, what what this what impact this will have. So as we jump back to me, back to screen share, there's got to be a more efficient way of doing this. <laughs> so let's see here. So yeah, let's ask the question, what are pre-sales to begin with? So if you think about pre-sales in terms of independent film, let's start with the Hollywood studios, because that's all we kind of know about. You know, there's what I think there's like six major studios and they own everything, right? I mean, there's Disney, 
there's uh, Fox or 20th Century Fox Corporation. There's Warner Brothers. Uh, there's Sony, and there's Viacom. You know, owns Paramount and and whatnot. And I think that's it. Five. Maybe I'm missing something. Uh, if I, I I probably am. I know there's a sixth one out there. Um, you know. So anyhow, so their whole their whole world is this is sort of like the elite one percent. Even though there's you know we're talking about five to six major studios that are responsible for like ninety percent of the entertainment or media or movies that we are we see in those two. So this is kind of like the elite one percent. And I wrote an article for um, Ted Hope's uh, uh, blog blog site, truly truly film, <laughs> truly free film. I can't even speak. Very tired from all this moving. Um, so you can check that out at you know this link, and it kind of goes in a little bit more about this unusual sort of uh, universal law of the one percent. But it's good to understand what necessary that means and how you fit into all that stuff. So they are responsible for the mass audience appeal. So their financing, the way they, they handle things, is there's like a mass, you know, corporation publicly, you know, traded. Um, they have, you know, X amount of, you know, budget to use per year to produce, I think, only a handful of films. It used to be like something like 50, each studio is producing 50, 75 films per year. And then all of a sudden, um, with so many changes since the economic downturn, they reduced the number of titles they pr- uh, put out there in the uh, theaters to something like 25. And of those 25 or something like that, majority of the films they're going to put out focus on stars that were 25 years and younger. So, you know, yes, we might see a film by you know Johnny Depp or Brad Pitt or you know um, very anomaly somebody like Sandra Bullock. They represent like you know even less than 1% of, of all those who all those working actors that used to be stars or stars that, you know, we're familiar with or name actors. Now they have to be relegated to uh, the film market. So as I go back here, um, I'm going to have to do something funny in this one. So I have two screens here. Okay. Whoops. Here we go. Um, let me hear. Little cumbersome. Yeah, I don't know how to that. Okay. So I'll finish up the slides part of it um, and just sort of go into uh, a rough uh, a discussion. The concept is that we have the Hollywood studios, and unfortunately, that's sort of what we a lot of the press is all um, revolves around in terms of how they do their business. It's the glamour business. You know, we follow the stars, we follow the directors. It's like, you know, uh, we all want to work in that sort of industry. And obviously, television—the uh, amount of amazing, amazing work coming out of all different um, factors of television—and now it's not even television anymore. It's Netflix. It's uh, Amazon getting into the game. Uh, this concept of very long-form, uh, serialized um, entertainment is really striking a chord with a lot of people because it—you it, can get really niched down or niche down and find very unique, uh, compelling stories that way, as opposed to the Cineplex standard, you know, two hour, hour and a half movie that was designed to pump people, you know, get people in and out of the theater as quickly as possible. Uh, like, you know, you work in a restaurant, you're trying to turn tables as quickly as possible because you can make more money. If people sit and linger at the, you know, the dinner table for too long, 
um, you're losing money when uh, you know they're not paying for any more. They're just like sucking up time. So that's why sometimes you get that those restaurants that just kind of get that vibe that like they want you out of there. Like before you even finish eating, there's a check that comes to your table. You know, so it kind of bums out the experience. Well, you know, uh, the same kind of thing for the cinemaplexes. Um, when you have like a three-hour movie, like a Lord of the Rings movie, um, you know, you you could you know fill that theater space twice with a comedy or something like that that's running at 90 minutes each. So um, anyhow, so that's you know just a, a tangent there. That's that's the world of Hollywood we follow. And then there's those of us who follow you know the independent film world. Those of who want are aspiring independent uh, filmmakers, and we are looking to uh, other sort of forms of, of a economics to follow because right now we you know with our concept is like okay let's go to film school let's learn our craft and then let's go ahead and um you know see if we can't be those that that lucky one percent that gets to play in the uh, studio system that gets you know our film picked up and we get a chance to uh you know direct the next star wars film like uh, mr ryan johnson it's kind of a dream come true ucs usc grad Makes it in his independent film, and he builds up a body of work. And next thing you know, he's in line to you know direct uh, one of the Star Wars films. So those are the dreams. Those are like the 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 what are the the gold, the brass, the brass ring, or the the dangling carrot that we all are aspiring to try to grab, or at least that's what fills our dreams of you know having that opportunity. But then there's then there's a sort of like the uh, film festival circuit where we get to see sort of like this highbrow or artsy films that um, are unique films or foreign films that we're not accustomed to uh, getting a chance to, you know, see in the regular uh, cinema. And those who break through um, find a, you know, find a unique following because they broke through the noise. And so they've become like sort of the independent darlings. And the one Sundance right now, um, you got to forgive me and forget, uh, the one with the, the comedian who's doing um, it's, it's like a kind of a tongue-in-cheek um, approach to abortion or something. Um, Got somebody type in in the Q and A because I know it's I'm butchering it, but uh, I should probably just look it up in Google. But anyhow, you know, something like that, uh, a film like that will break through and catch the uh, attention of the uh, independent blog sphere and the the press and so on, and so that becomes sort of like an independent darling. Now. The world of like film markets, since the American film market is coming up in Los Angeles or Santa Monica, specifically in November, um, it's it's fascinating to walk along um, those hallways to see really what's going on because those are the same buyers and sellers of films that attend the Cannes film market and uh, I think the European film market or uh, the, you know, the Berlin film market or something like that. But what's interesting about that is the type of films they are uh, buying and selling are not necessarily the films that you see a lot of press about. They're not part of like the IndieWire, um, you know, blogosphere. They're not part of like, uh, uh, you know, maybe some other uh, blogs or publications you follow. Um, they literally are like uh, some stars that you kind of know about, but you you look at a film like, I never knew they did a film like that. And, but they're, um, there's like really three main genres that that sell well universally, which are horror, action and family um reason being is that you know you don't necessarily need a lot of dialogue i mean it's very visual action is very visual horror uh films scary films is a very uh, primal um reaction emotional reaction 
that uh, anybody around the world can uh, relate to. Uh, what's difficult are dramas, because um, apparently the um, each each region, each country prefers to um, tap into their own um, regional dramas. You know, they're not necessarily interested in in watching like an American drama when they can, you know, watch something from you know their their country of Singapore or India and whatnot. Um, comedies don't do well, especially American comedies. Uh, the language barrier, the inside jokes, the references, and that kind of stuff don't travel well overseas, um, unless you're somebody like Rowan Atkinson, who um, doesn't speak and is all physical comedy. Anybody who has a lot of physical comedy um, and speaks very very little will do very well overseas because, or universally, because you know Pratt Falls and physical comedy is a universal uh, language that people could understand. So in that world, that's the world that. Um, uh, Shuler and Moore is talking about in terms of what how Netflix will you know you know rip the heart out of the pre-sales. So the so let me see if I can kind of type something up here real quick. So yeah, you'll see my head kind of go this way. <laughs> I didn't get I actually didn't have time with all this moving and stuff that I uh, didn't write this up um, early enough. So the way the pre-sales works in terms of the the other faction faction of the world of film. So we have the Hollywood studios have their own world. They have their own economics of how things get made and, and make money. You have the film festival darlings, a sort of uh, you know that has the press that follows that. You know the, the few you know level A um, um, festivals, and there's like the tier two, tier three festivals. And then there's the world of the film markets, which is the um, really dealing with the international sales of how certain films travel to different markets, and which is we'll hear about, you know, um, the buyouts of uh, that, that deal with TV rights and film rights and all that kind of stuff, and which is why those genre films do well and they do, you know, cons consistently overseas in those three Pacific genres. So the way the pre-sales works for that is that if you're a producer. And um, really, the best person, you know, one of the best resources to go to for this type of stuff is at filmspecific.com with Stacy Parks. Um, being that she's, you know, a former sales agent herself, has been in the business for a long time and has done, you know, for you know almost eight years, I think now, has done a really great job of trying to help independent filmmakers navigate those waters. So I recommend uh, definitely checking out uh, that resource if you don't know about it. I mean, you know, um, so the way it works, like ideally is that you have a, pro a project and you've done your due diligence and say okay I got th one of the three genres it's gonna be a horror film action film or a family film so let's say we're doing an action film and we got an action star well um, you kinda of have to do your analysis like um, I'm putting together this package I've got this action movie uh, this director is you know well known uh, in, in the in the action genre and we have a star that is attached to the project um, and so what we needed to do is take that package to see whether or not we can get a basically a promise note from various uh, international uh, distribution companies to get a pre-sale to get this promise that this says hey if you bring this pa package together and you finish this film for that this budget you're saying that you're going to fil uh, finish it for um, the different uh, various entities that deal with foreign pre-sales um, promise notes will give you that um, money so say you were trying to make a film for you know three million dollars that that's your budget 
and then the uh, foreign pre-sales say, yeah, you know, I can give you uh, two, like two and a half million. I think with your package, with the director, the actor, the genre, uh, the script, um, we can get you two and a half million promise notes that I can sell to the different foreign uh, territories. So then you take this promise note uh, or this pre-sales, this sort of a general agreement. Um, again, I'm sort of just overgeneralizing this, but this is the way that, that how it kind of works in the film market world is that you take that to a bank and uh, a certain bank that specializes in um, giving loans to uh, independent film producers. And then they, they, they check it out that says, yes, you have um, all these elements uh, in place. You have your director, you have your actor, you have your genre, you have your script, and you have a, um, an agreement or a promise note from these international uh, sales uh, uh, companies. Then we will match that loan of two and a half million, that promise, We'll give you that loan because we know that if you've got this promise that they're going to pay for it, that we'll get our money back plus whatever interest. So boom, you get a loan for two and a half million to make your film. But say you already did it, but you said you had a budget of three million. So how do you? Oh, hey, we got a question here. Uh, let's see, here. Scott, what kind of films you made at any big projects? Oh, here, Drive Zone TV. So I'm going to answer this uh, question real quick. There's asking any films that I worked on, big projects. Um, I was the, um, uh, for, the, for the first 12 years of my career, I actually ran the cinematic department for Sony PlayStation. So um, I played in that world in terms of uh, producing visual effects and um, large-scale sort of, you know, fantasy-type stuff for uh, PlayStation. And then uh, venturing into developing uh, the independent film world during just kind of as the economy was crashing, this is all, all how Film Troopers sort of all started from this, is that um, that's how I learned about all this stuff and uh, navigating the waters and um, spending time in Los Angeles at that point. So that's just real quick to answer that question from Drive Zone TV. So anyhow, real quick, the um, so what you do is, again, you've got your package. You've got a $3 million budget. And you get a pre-sales promise note to say they'll give you two and a half million. You get that matched by a bank that will give you the loan for two and a half million. So where do you come up with the other five hundred thousand? That's why a lot of producers will go to a, a a state that is friendly for tax incentives. Somebody's going to get a rebate. Um, so you film in that specific uh, state, and you know you do your due diligence to do your accounting correctly to make sure you get that five hundred thousand, even maybe a million dollars worth back in tax incentives. So you cover your budget plus more. So you, you make your film, you, you deliver on the promise, you give it back to the, um, you sell it to the international um, buyers. You know, they give you that two and a half million, you give that to the bank, uh, you get your tax pre-sales or, you know, all, I mean, all that, those benefits, you come back in, you've covered your basis, and that's it. It doesn't really necessarily matter if your film does well or not, or if it gets, you know, known by the press or anything like that. If you have uh, accurately build a project, build a film project where you put all these elements in place and you were able to secure that, what happens is that everybody who works on that project gets their fee, meaning that, um, you know, a lot of people probably won't see the back end. The film may not ever even do that well um, once you hand it over, with depending on the, the rights and so on, to the foreign markets, um, how they go about, you know, packaging it with some other films. Um, then 
you know, you can, I'm sorry, I lost track. I saw, I saw something here. Oh, I'm going to answer this question here in a second. So that's how you, that is sort of the basic sort of premise of how an independent producer will navigate the waters of the film market. And again, this is outside of the world of the Hollywood studios. The Hollywood studios has their own economics. They have their own way of making money and selling things. Um, the independent world has a different way, which is like if you're utilizing the film markets, if you're utilizing the foreign pre-sales, um, that's how they basically make these $3 million, $5 million, you know, $10 million type films uh, independently. Uh, and then the rest of us, maybe like 99% of the rest of or 90% of the rest of the independent filmmakers are all scrapping in terms of I got equipment, I've done private equity, I've raised money on the crowdfunding, anything I, I can to like get the film done. That part, I think that pretty much represents about maybe 90%. I don't have any accurate measures, but measurements, but the way the 1% rule works out, you can kind of see that happening. Now, I'm going to take a quick second here. Let me just read this question coming in. Oh, hey, uh, Drive Zone TV. I don't know uh, Alessandro, but uh, yeah, I'll follow up with you guys here in a little bit. Very, very cool. Um, so um, following up with the article by Schuler and Moore that says, um, you know, Netflix is going to rip the heart out of these pre-sales. So what does that mean? So what it means is that if Netflix can continue uh, expanding their market outside of the uh, North America, and they go into other foreign territories, and they set up shop, and um, over time, the customer base and the user experience of uh, you know foreign customers begin to are able to have the same experience that we do. And when we watch Netflix, in terms of the, te the television shows, all, like everything on demand, you know, maybe the selection is not 100% there sometimes, but it might be a different experience for those in, in the foreign world because. Here's the thing is the question it really is like what is the purpose of those foreign distributors or sales agents when they're buying films or giving promise notes which they think they can sell to different different territories here and there if something like an entity like Netflix comes in and um, you know they have a different way of acquiring me uh, uh, media and content to display and share out to their, their subscribers. I mean, their whole world of Netflix is simply um, curating as much content as possible and then also developing original content to provide content to a, subscri uh, a subscriber list. I mean, it's just like magazines, you know, back in the day or newspapers that had so much power. Um, you know, Citizen Kane is based off uh, William uh, Hurst in terms of the, the newspaper empire. Anybody can control media and control a large subscriber base, um, has a lot of power, a lot of say. And I, I wouldn't put past uh, Netflix to be successful in the foreign territories because it's been successful here in North America and, and you know, they'll get better at it. So what that means for the independent film producer is if they can't get, if you can't secure like that promise note, how are you going to pay for your film? How, how are you going to bring any sort of uh, collateral or um, uh, to the bank to get your loan to make your film, you know? Uh, so that's why it's very um, interesting and maybe scary in terms of the old ways of doing things because um, the technology and something like Netflix will come in and just sort of level the playing field. And so that's sort of something to look out for. Now, 
let's talk about the rest of like the world in terms of independent filmmakers, like the real indie indie that are jumping onto crowdfunding. And I had this other conversation uh, two week two Fridays ago with uh, Jennifer Fisher of uh, Think Tan Media Group. Uh, as we got, you know, after we uh, kind of hung up, we were kind of continuing conversation. There's something to be said about um, if Uber Uber independent filmmakers cannot uh, sell their film at like five dollars a pop, ten dollars a pop. You know, if you're renting your film for two ninety nine or four ninety nine, or you're trying to sell it for nineteen ninety nine, that kind of stuff. You know, you have to you have to push a lot of a lot of units to make your money back or to make to even compete to what the um, the numbers are that we constantly get bombarded by, um, like box office mojo and stuff like that. And there's all the box office returns because we're seeing sort of Hollywood numbers, but not necessarily the Uber independent film numbers and how to make that make sense and how do you make a sustainable living from that. Um, so here's just an idea, something to think about. Like we, as consumers, we don't really think too much about maybe spending twenty to thirty dollars on a book, even an ebook. You know, a book comes out. You know, no problem, 20, 30. So, you know, say you sell whatever, a thousand units of that. Here, look at me. I'm going to look at the calculator because I can't do um, I can't do math even though I'm half Asian. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> so say you sell a book for like $30 a pop. And say you sell that in a thousand transactions, a thousand sales. Doesn't sound like a lot. Not a lot of box office there. Um, but you make $30,000, you know, in terms of the world, your film, you're probably thinking $30,000, my film costs like 500,000 to make. Well, I think you gotta, whatever you gotta do, you gotta try to make the film a lot less and try to make it, um, so you can be profitable in that sense. So it'd be interesting to see, um, oh, sorry. Hey, drives on TV in Germany. Okay, cool. I'm going to follow up with you here in a sec. Um, so here's the thing. You can almost take your screenplay and make an make an ebook out of it, and then you use your movie as almost like a advertisement or book trailer for your book, or you bundle it. In the world of entrepreneurs and online business, they're all about like bundling things. So you, instead of just selling your movie for like ten dollars or five dollars rental or something like that, um, there's a we have to figure out a way to increase the value. And the price of our independent body of work, so that we're getting somewhere near that we're selling uh, our package for a hundred dollars, you know, a bundle. So what does that hundred dollars include? Because if we're not going to get the same high volume um, uh, transactions like um, the Hollywood studios that we follow, you know, and we're not going to get, you know, how many? I have to look up here because again, sorry, I'm just kind of winging this right now. It's not, you know, instead of like 100,000 transactions or 10,000 transactions, um, the Uber indie film producer and filmmaker who's just, you know, making something and putting it online and then doing their marketing and, and outreach that way, you know, maybe get a couple hundred transactions. If you can get 1,000 tra transactions, so that's what your kind of goal is because it's the, that old Kevin Kelly um, blog post, 1,000 true fans. If you get 1,000 tr true fans that are going to give you $100 a year, that is basically, you know, 100, 100 times 1,000, $100 times 1,000 is $100,000. So can you make 
your film products very inexpensive, but can you raise the value of it? And can you, um, so when you're selling the package, maybe you're selling it, uh, you're turning your script into an ebook. Uh, I've seen there's a lot of movement right now that people are turning uh, their work into it like a graphic novel. So now you've got uh, an ebook, you've got a graphic novel, you've got the movie, and then some, but if you are targeting a very specific uh, audience and customer base, then you have a really good chance of finding out what other value you can add to that. I just had a conversation with an, uh, an independent filmmaker who made this, um, it looks like a, like a really fun sort of throwback to uh, the early 60s of, uh, you know, hot rod cars and, uh, you know, uh, rock and roll, bebop, all kind of something that would definitely work very, very well in the vintage car enthusiast um, circles. So I could easily see him taking his film and bypassing all sort of realms of independent film media and blogs and just focusing on the blogs of uh, and followers of vintage uh, race cars or hot rod cars and then going to those car shows and like setting up like a booth of the DVDs and just uh, in engaging with that audience and perhaps taking uh, making a short documentary about selling the film or then talking about people's cars or something like that and then you can take that as a side you know, movie or side video. It could be like 30 minutes long. But you, he, you know, he could take his movie that he made, did that, and he can take like sort of the um, behind the scenes or, or focusing on certain cars that a lot of these car enthusiasts love because he's got a lot of great cars in his film. So he kind of like maybe, you know, advertises that way. Then he, you can see him bundling something that together for maybe 50 bucks, you know, or 40 bucks or something. Um, and so... Um, that that's the kind of changes that we can make in terms of uh, flipping things on its head where it's like ask yourself like what kind of value can I give to my very specific audience um, and again we're not working in the world of Hollywood we're not working in the world of the pre-sales and uh, film market world we would be working in the world of supplying audiences with some value and you have to figure out who that audience, what your audience is, and what you know what they would be willing to pay a hundred bucks for or fifty bucks for, and how your film fits into that. Obviously, it's a lot more to that. I mean, there's a whole transmedia mo movement of how expand storytelling in different areas and different media. But if you can combine that world with the world of say like online business or online marketing, then you can get into the world of figuring out how to package and stack your products. So you really do get this great value to your audience. And you as a business person or a film producer in the uber indie world um, can make a profit. Again, try to get 1,000 transactions at $100 a pop. So you have to ask yourself, okay, how do I reach and how do I sell to 1,000 people that are very specific? And what value can I create at 100 bucks a pop? So that's a whole different way of thinking. Then just like I gotta make my movie and stick it on you know iTunes or Netflix and cross my fingers and I'm in the marketplace and you know somebody will discover me, you know um, you know don't even think that way. Just let's think about like there's maybe a different metrics or different metrics of success for Uber indie fin filmmakers. If excuse me, as we um, raise the price or raise the value of what we're making, so it's not. We, I don't think we can compete with Hollywood if we're competing at a price point of 99 cents, you know, for a movie. Because, again, you got to think about it. Like, like I said, people are more willing to spend $20, $30 on an ebook, 
and then when you ask them to spend twenty or thirty dollars on your movie, they're like, eh, I'll wait till it's on Netflix or uh, if it's ninety nine cents, I'll rent it. So it's sort of like this mindset of like it takes so much more effort and so much more money to make a movie than it is to write an ebook. But it's interesting how people value that. So if you can kind of flip it on its head and say, well, if I package this thing again, like uh, this particular independent filmmaker I, I met with, they could take this uh, this film and do do a lot with it in a very specific niche, and uh, it might be uh, might be something worth trying. Um, I haven't tried it yet. It's just it was just a discussion point that uh, Jennifer Fisher and I had, and it was sort of in response uh, later on to this article by Schuler M. Moore about what's going to happen to the international uh, pre-sales business model of the film markets. It's going to be very interesting to see what changes in the next couple of years if indeed Netflix does have has a successful run in uh, different foreign territories. Um, so how does that mean for us to survive? Well, again, I think just um, look at other dis different business models and kind of flip it on its head and see how we can uh, approach it that way. So I don't want to, um, let me see, I'm going to check out this real quick. Uh, Drive Zone TV, uh, let me read these questions real quick. Uh, yeah, here we go. Uh, oh, here we go. They just wrote in, hey, we we used to make uh, car event DVDs with a budget around $300. Hotel and ga gas, plus around $400 DVD finishing, sold around 1,500 DVDs, only over YouTube. DVD was like $18 each, shipping worldwide. So you can also make a huge win with only a um, low budget if the crowd knows that's the priority. Very good point. I hope I read that specific, um, specific, you know, if I read that clearly enough, um, that's great. I mean, that's that's pointing it out. I always get I always get uh, fired up about um, story filmmakers are they're totally on the radar in terms of where the the press is not finding them. You know, where they have made a film and it sold a lot of units and they made a lot of money, but you don't hear about it like in you know, like I said, IndieWire or Slate or anything like that, because it doesn't necessarily involve any sort of sexy director or actor or stuff like that. But in whatever film was created meant a lot to that specific demographic. In this case, you know, a car events, you know, there are a lot of car enthusiasts. Um, there's another story of uh, somebody making a great film, uh, an interesting film, a documentary just for, uh, you know, uh, private um, air, um, I can't say pilots, you know, just flying their own planes. So that's a whole other world that just, uh, you know, a specific film was made for that demographic. Um, you know, the ideal thing is to make a really cool film for a demographic or an audience that has a lot of money to spend or has the passion to spend. And they say car people are one of them. So making movies about the, you know, certain type of cars, um, look at Fast and Furious. I mean, you know, that's the high level of it. Who's to say you can't do something on a, on a small independent level? And obviously it looks like Drive Zone TV does it. And they're based in Germany, and I met a lot of Ger um, Germans who are just you know, Europeans in general that just are huge car enthusiasts, you know, especially the you know the Autobahn, you know, in Germany. But there's also the sense that a lot of um, Europeans that come over to America, there's this fascination of the the wide open space really fast because when you're you know, a lot of times you can't get that speed going uh, in the vastness in Europe because it's, you know, a lot more condensed. So, I don't know, side topic there. Let me see here. Uh, you can invite him. Oh, here. I can invite him 
<laughs> I'm going to invite you to the conversation. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up here. Let's see here. Uh, select. Select. All right. Let's see here. I'm going to invite him. I'm going to invite him to the conversation. Drive zone. Let me see this. Oh, there you are. Here we go. This is totally off the cuff. Um, so I've just invited uh, DriveZone TV. That's the um, the handle of the name in Google Plus, and uh, they're in Germany and they've been uh, uh, texting me. Hopefully, I can get them on here. Um, we can wrap a little bit more. So, like I said, I I will finish up uh, this this sort of PowerPoint, pseudo-PowerPoint, and clean up everything kind of I was talking about, and I'll offer that up a download on filmtrooper.com. And um, let's see here. If uh, I'm not too sure if you'll see it come in. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Do you see my eyes? I mean, they're, like, red. I'm so tired from moving. Um, we're doing, like, small piecemeals because we're just moving, like, 15 minutes over into another town. And, uh, gosh, it takes up a lot, a lot of energy. Um, Anyhow, so let me ask here. Uh, if I don't see you come on, um, and I know you have a name besides Drive Drive Zone TV, uh, so I will. Um, I'm going to wrap this up here shortly. But let's talk. Um, I'm going to follow up with you here uh, very shortly. You guys, you know what? I think that's it. I can't believe it's 40 minutes in. I can't believe I talked for 40 minutes. So hopefully you got some kind of nuggets out of this in terms of understanding the sort of the different tiers of the different worlds of filmmaking or the film, you know, the way the, the business works. Again, you have the studio system. They're the elite 1%. They've got their own way of working. And everybody's sort of working through that scarcity of that mod business model that's been created. So that's why we get sort of jaded and jealous. Oh, I try my best. One second. <laughs> okay. He's trying. I'm going to try. I'll, let me, I'll... I'll I'll invite you again, see how that works. Uh, do, do, do. And, um, and then we talked about the implosion or possible um, collapse of the foreign pre-sales, maybe over time, or there might be a massive change if Netflix indeed... Um, oh, there he is. Here we go. Hello. DriveZone TV. Uh, I don't even know your first name. I see you coming up. Let me see here. Do I? Am I? Are you on mute? Am I on mute? Are you on mute? Oh, hey, there you are. I can hey, see Bob. you. Let me see if I can hear you. Um, you should hear me. Oh, there. Okay, okay. I'm gonna now. I can really hold on. Okay, go ahead and say something. Um, test, test. <laughs> I can hear you. What it, um, welcome to uh, Film Marketing Fridays. First of all, let's do a quick introduction. All I see is that your your name handle is DriveZone TV, but what is your your real name? My real name is Alex. Um, I'm from Germany, and yeah, the most time I do videos. It's only about car events, making some DVDs, and don't put it on the German level, so don't put it on a national level. <clears throat> Yeah, definitely. How long have you been making films yourself? For seven years now. Oh, congratulations. 
Sorry, are you um, a big like car fan? Are you a fan yourself of like uh, different types of cars, or you're a very specific type of cars? Of course, that's why I started to make car videos because it's one of my passions to make videos and put it together with my um, car passion to make some special. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, is there like a what what type of do you, is there a certain type of car? Do you like uh, old vintage cars, or do you like new newer like very uh, type cars, or or all all kinds? It's around all kinds. If they're um, good looking, uh, <laughs> I like them on a on a way. It's you don't can. For example, if you put the Gun in sixty seconds Mustang, it's a very really, very very nice car. Also with, for example, the new BMW uh, E8, it's also a nice car in a way. Nice. And let me ask you: in your experience of making these videos and so on, um, how enthusiastic is the um, the your customers um, in terms? Because I know car enthusiasts are very passionate about you know uh, that world. What what's been your impression about that specific like uh, customer base? First of all, I started to go overseas, not only in Germany, so that also some people in America see the videos what I make. Um, but there was a shortcut when they travel around worldwide. So we sold the DVD, and the first orders from Asia, from also from Baghdad and stuff like this, came into our place, and we were like, okay, now we're probably all around the world. Oh, okay, okay. It's very cool. You know what's neat about, I love about, like, uh, discovering independent film or people making films all over the world is that um, I had a, a filmmaker in here in Atlanta, Georgia, and she had made this short film. What was really fascinating was the level of diversity of the actors um, because they looked real um, and, and they had a the diversity of their uh, ethnic backgrounds um, was so abnormal to here in America where the mass media um, like, for instance, my daughter's been watching this MTV show. She's been binge-watching Teen Wolf, um, which is sort of like this remake of the old 80s comedy film, but now it's a little bit more serious. But I, I was joking because they're like all these gorgeous white people, you know, like uh, white kids are, you know, and there's the, the diversity is not quite there. Where you see independent films, you get to see sort of real people in that kind of sense. And I think what's interesting is like, um, you're coming from Germany, but you have this enthusiasm from around the world. You have a unique uh, point of view from your perspective of the world that is enticing. And that's why I think what makes independent film or independence in general so unique, because you're not going to see that on a mass level. And um, it, uh, I could see, I, mean, I, I did some editing of uh, some car shows uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, we did, uh, so that was, it was fascinating to see. Uh, like how many people show up at these uh, car shows and just how just in love with they are with the cars. And after you see it after a while, you can appreciate it. I'm not necessarily a car guy, but after editing a couple shows, I realize, like, that's a pretty nice-looking car. Like, look at that. Like, I, you, you start getting, like, th it, like, really stoked about stupid things like, look at that, you know, air filter or something. <laughs> anyway, but... um let me ask you, what um, what are your plans? Um, are you, you do you want to come to the states, or you want to travel the world as a filmmaker? Are you going to get into some other types of films? 
there is so much plans. The problem is, if you're a German and in Germany, it's really, really hard uh, to get a foot on the ground. So if you plan to make a film or got a really, really good idea for a movie, it's really, really hard to get a person to um, to help you out with it. So um, in Germany, there are not that much people like in America um, for helping you with the VFX and all kind of stuff. And also you don't have the big range because if you go to famous um, TV places and tell them, hey, I got a story, it's like this and that, how about that? They are like, okay, we can do it in German, but for everyone who ever <laughs> The most German movies are crap. They are like not even as good as an American uh, TV show. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless you make, I, you know, I, I gosh, it's it's fascinating to hear the um, the barriers or the challenges that you are uh, proposed to you. It'd be interesting because I know that uh, I was talking about foreign pre-sales. It's 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 actually funny because years ago it still happens today. You might get a film that's made where uh, it's half of it's funded by you know American private American uh, funds but they got most of their funding from like a company um, uh, private partners that are from Germany or something like that so one of the caveats in the film the screenwriter and the director have to change the story a little bit because like okay the it doesn't matter you have to have a scene where they're they're filming uh, you know someplace in Germany and these characters have to speak German I don't know how you're going to fit it in the script, but yeah, just do it. So you see that sometimes where there's kind of like this, it feels like a pseudo-international uh, feel, uh, but it's because of the economics sometimes. And I was wondering, actually, for your end of things, I can see something where, you know, maybe you partner up with a, uh, uh, a high-level sort of car, let's say car dealership or somebody who um, could benefit from like, uh, do you remember years ago when the internet really kind of kicked off, BMW obviously made those great BMW films like uh, Clive Owen and stuff like Clive, you know, was it Clive o oh, yeah, Clive Owen. And that was fun because it was like these little mini Hollywood movies, but it, I could see where you can take something and you're like, hey, I'll, you're, what you're looking for is somebody to be a, um, uh, a patron of yours where you can like but they get the benefit of it if you can do a lot, uh, a lot of um, good exposure for whatever the product they have, or maybe it's a specific car show. Um, but as long as you're able to sell sort of a different creative spin on it, so then you can bring more of a storytelling narrative to it. Um, but you're selling in in the the world of uh, say that car show or whatever it is. So it doesn't have to be like a straight. This is the car show, and, and welcome here. But it's more like you can you can have your creative uh, liberty uh, license and, and and so on. It's a tough sale, but uh, sell. But you can be more specific to that kind of person. It gives you a chance to um, expand that way. And then, um, you know, if you have an opportunity to expand on a worldwide uh, worldwide stage, you can because it's like um, I know, like on YouTube, I don't know what it is, but I can't get enough of these stinking. Um, Russian, you know, car cams. <laughs> I don't know. What, I mean, they're so crazy. I just posted one on Facebook just recently. A guy's riding his motorcycles, crash into the back of this this car, and he does a flip, and he lands on top. You saw that one. I mean, it's like any. I don't know what's going on in Russia, the driving and those car cams. But you know, somebody's going to put a compilation together, and I will totally watch it because it's like, what the heck? <laughs> anyway. I don't know if that's something that uh, could be of use or something maybe you've already thought about or what the realities are of kind of approaching it that way. 
it's 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 a good plan. Um, the problem is if you're um, starting to get up to bigger um, car dealerships, they got a they got a they got a person who made this, and they don't change it. It's like a German traditional. So if you got a, peop- a person you're um, you, who you're gonna make good movies, you keep that person. You don't change it and try maybe something other, something better. They don't mind if it work pretty good and you don't show them the paper like you have a studying in VFX or something. You're totally gone. That's the problem. They don't even watch your movies if you send them something. They only say, "Do you get the papers? Do you make your study? Um, if you don't do this, you're gone." And that's the point in America. You can reach nearly everything without some papers or something, you show them something, and if they're like, okay, it's nice, the the guy behind this knows what he's making, I try what he's planning to do with my uh, company or something, then they uh, invite you. But in Germany, they won't. Interesting. I wonder if you could do something where, um, I'm just saying, if we, we, this is, we're just, we're just literally just coming this up the top of your head. Something like where you can find like a private owner of like a special car, you know, somebody who loves their car, and you can say, "I have, I want, I would love to make a little movie or a series of movies about your car," um, and and hopefully there's somebody um, because what you're trying to do is leverage that in terms of the interest to uh, getting the financing so that you can make your films uh, appropriately, so you can hire necessary if you need to build out a visual effects team to do, you know. Uh, a few shots here and there, or just have it so you can up the quality. Um, obviously, uh, how does the crowdfunding work um, for you guys over there in Germany? I'm not familiar with it. Is it does it have a different um, laws or different, um, or even, is is it even available? It's available, yeah, but it's nearly impossible to get something. So um, if you do not the straight way, what Germany wants to have something like this, it's really, really hard to get money for crowdfunding or something. It's really, really hard. So it's probably easier to get a checkpoint, a checkpoint, uh, the check, yeah. ah, uh, the checkpoint in some in LA or something, wherever you go, it's easier to get their money for getting it in Germany. So if you don't make a movie, for example, in like bullying or drugs or something, they won't do anything. You know, it's actually it's interesting. I think you could do like you kind of touched upon it there. Say you have a project, and you uh, strike up a working relationship online with uh, like a, a, another Hollywood, uh, somebody in LA or in the states that wants to produce something with you via you know remotely. Because you can, you can imagine somebody in the states that says, "Hey, we've got this. This is our crown. Welcome to our crowdfunding campaign." Uh, you know, uh, this is Alex. Is it, it's Alex or that's right? Your name, Alex, right? Yeah. Yes, Alex. So this is Alex, and you know he's coming to you live from Germany. And then we could show maybe you show off like all these exotic sort of locales or what you're going to do with your kind of give a little travel log because if it's an American crowdfunding and they see sort of this like international approach, what it is is you're using your uh, producing partner here in the States to handle the initial uh, fundraising, you know, so that way you have that market, but you're you're advertising and utilizing sort of the exoticness of being in Germany and taking advantage really of the resources you have in front of you 
And then, like I said, if you're doing, say you want to do something about some cars or whatever like that, there, like you said, there's a lot of car enthusiasts here in America that you can really hone in on that um, that targeted market. And say you're like, hey, I'm making this, you know, action film. We're going to make this horror film, but look at all these cars we're featuring, you know, and or whatever it is. It's like, so you know, how people are like, oh, that's cool. I'm, I'm down. I love that type of car. Or you know what? You should get if you can try to get this type of car. Uh, or you gotta, you definitely gotta get a scene in the Autobahn because a lot of people in America, you know, are like, I, I want to drive that. You know what I mean? So whatever it is, you got to find from your audience. It goes if you can highlight that into your crowdfunding campaign. And then here's the thing about the thing about in terms of crowdfunding campaign in the world of online entrepreneurs or business people and marketers, they do a thing called like the, uh, a product launch. And so crowdfunding sort of follows that same paradigm, meaning that. Um, when you do your crowdfunding, I had mentioned this before, but I think that you can even try to budget in your own profit, meaning that you know you do your budget, like you know you need to raise X amount of dollars to make your project, but go ahead and add another you know couple zeros to that or whatever it might be, so you already build in a profit. Because in business, in the world of business, they do things like this, like hey, you customer. Uh, I think you have this problem, or you have this problem, or I'm asking all these questions, and or you have this problem. I think I can solve it with this product. He goes, if I create this product to solve your pain or solve your problem, um, would this be something you'd be willing to to pay for? And then if you get this interest, the universe, this this dialogue going with your customer base, and you're offering the solution or you're offering this experience with your art, um, then you what business people do is like they get a pre-sales. And that's exactly what I was talking about earlier, which is the foreign pre-sales, which is like you're, you're coming to these foreign dis distribution companies saying, this is my package for this film. I have all this stuff lined up. Will you, is this something worth something to you that you'll pay, uh, give me a promise note that you'll pay for it once it's done? And they'll say yes. And sometimes up to the, the amount of two to three million dollars worth. Well, the same thing can be done on a customer base. Because you get, say, you get a thousand transactions, and people say, "I would totally pay a hundred dollars for that." So you auto, off the bat, you know, off the bat, get a hundred thousand dollars, and you haven't made anything yet. So if you if you go ahead and make your project for like twenty five thousand dollars, the people that gave you a hundred dollars, they don't care because you've already just sold them on the value, not the price. You sold them on the value that you're going to get, and not necessarily the price. So you finish it. You deliver it to your audience. That's the same. It's the same principle as what's going on in the film markets, which is Hollywood producers are only trying to sell it to a distribution company. They don't even care if the film does does well. They're just trying to sell it so that the producer gets their fee of like a half a million dollars. Because when they do that line budget, you know, the a film budget, it, the the above the line cost will say the director gets this fee. The actors get this fee. The producer gets this fee, and the producer only gets this fee if he, you know, finishes a film, sells a film, and he secures that distribution uh, deal. Um, he might not see anything in the back end. The distribution distribution company might take it and hold on to it for 25 years, but as long as that producer and the director gets their fee, you know, it's like getting paid. You know, for like you're gonna work, you know, X amount of weeks on this project, and you get this fee, and then you're done. You get your money, and you move on to the next project. So as an independent like yourself doing a crowdfunding campaign, utilizing it in the same principles as the um, Hollywood pre-sales guys do is 
you know, you ask the question or you start that dialogue with the type of customer or the people that might be uh, car enthusiasts that would love to see a film, a, a unique special film, however you want to create it. And you and uh, you say you're uh, an American counterpart who's your producing partner, um, generate the interest. You sell the sexiness of what Germany is all about. You know, it's the exotic world that the, the American audience is like, oh, I got to get there one day. I got to get there one day, you know. You sell that to them, and you sell them a problem, and then, um, like I said, you get it. You have to just figure out what your metrics are. If you can get like a thousand people to buy in at like a hundred dollars a pop, and if you can make your product for a lot less, then you've already built in your profit. You already built in the production budget, and everybody wins wins because your the audience, your value, they get what they want because they believe in the value. And the thing is, is you instead of just trying to just because you can raise a hundred thousand dollars doesn't necessarily mean that you want to make a $100,000 product. You know, you may want to just make a $10,000 product and take those pre-sales and invest it back into marketing so that you can supersize it later. I think there's sort of a percentage in terms of business, like uh, only 20% of effort goes into the actual product creation. So that would be the equivalent of making the film. And about 80% goes into marketing, you know. So and marketing doesn't have to be an ugly, boring thing. It'd actually be very, very creative. It, this could be all your bonus materials. This could be everything you can to discuss, you know, more of the world. This could be the transmedia part of it, you know. So that's something for uh, just thinking about your enthousia uh, enthusiasm and your success already. Selling DVDs, like you said, you were able to sell the DVDs at a higher uh, price point at a very specific audience that you were able to get, and so the return was very good. Uh, I think that's a danger right now in terms of digital um, direct download or something like that. You know, we're seeing ninety-nine cents rentals. We're seeing two ninety-nine rentals. Maybe nine ninety-nine is something you buy for a film, but now you know nineteen ninety-nine is sort of the threshold of like what anybody will pay. So if you can break break through that twenty-dollar price point and uh, and offer something more valuable at a hundred-dollar price point, then you don't have to worry about so much of getting like like 10,000, a million people to see your, your work to, to even make any money back. You can just focus on just getting like 500 or 1,000 people to uh, pay for a higher price point, and that might be a lot easier to deal with. And so, again, it's sort of you would make a lot more money that way. Not, not to say everything's about money, but in terms of being responsible and trying to be that producer part of it, um, you know, and the, it's always a, ba a, a challenge with the creative part, isn't it? <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, so that's me rambling, but something to think about in terms of, of anything you're, you're venturing into. Yeah, it's, uh, the, the point is um, it's hard to get the right people in America, for example, to talk with. So uh, in Germany, you don't need to talk with anybody because everyone is like, uh, it's more than 10 euros, uh, I don't want to pay it. So they keep the money really, really, really close. They won't put it anyway or somewhere else. That's the difference between Germany and America. In America, you go to some person, tell them, and they are like, okay, it's nice. I can give you, for example, $600 for investing. Uh, for If you show some commercials from my parts or something in the video, um, and then you can be free to start, for example. In Germany, it's only everything with about, 
I give you the parts for free, you make a commercial for free, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> if it's going around money, Germany is not the best point. If it's going for the Autobahn to go on the limit, that's the best point, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think... Um... Well, I think you kind of hit it, hit hit on something there, which is you said you you've recognized the barriers, the difficulties working in your country. Uh, they're not necessarily the same as you see uh, in America. Um, and so I think that the key for you is like finding that uh, partner, that working partner here in America that you can build that that plan. Because I like I like I said before, I think you have something of value in terms of being living in Germany, being a, um, a German, that you can um, show a different world to us. And and if you could, we could figure out, almost like a travel guide. It's like uh, people in America, again, are want to be attracted to that world. You know, so you don't even have to worry about selling to your countrymen, you know. It's like, no, no, I've got an American business partner that I've developed a relationship with. And, and like whatever you do in terms of like, say you find somebody you're going to be working with uh, here in America, um, you can do something as simple as a general agreement, like before you start any work. Like, so it's just a one piece of a one sheet paper that that clearly says like uh, party A, party B, and um, you know, you know th this is what we're doing. Let's just sign some sort of agreement so we understand going forth that if anything else that needs to be more detailed we have to create another type of agreement. You know what, when we're done, I'll make sure I get your email and I'll send you some sample forms, actually. Because it's like, uh, you know, I think it's worth, uh, you have access to the internet, um, we can try to help you find somebody who might, you know, be of the same enth um, enthusiasm as you and see a partnership uh, of something like that. Because uh, um, I know for a fact to be like, be awesome to work with somebody to be like, oh, uh, they're located in Sweden or they're located in Germany or they're Spain, you know, and we're going to get all this footage shot over there and I don't have to travel, you know, and then we're, maybe we can combine it with some of our uh, U.S. footage or whatever it is. We can get really creative about that. And you were talking about the visual effects world. Um, we can figure out like, uh, you know, maybe one or two artists that might just want to jump on a shot. You know, sometimes... You know, people are like, if hey, you're blowing something up, let me blow something up for you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what do you do for a living the whole time? I just um, I ran over uh, on Google with your hangout with some filming stuff and clicked in it. So, I don't know you as a person or as a channel. I don't know what you're making <laughs> or what uh, hangout I interrupted. I don't know nothing right now. <laughs> that is awesome. Okay, so what happened was... Um, I run this website called Film Trooper, and the idea behind it is to help independent filmmakers become entrepreneurs. And the simple um, concept there is like taking what online business people and online marketers are teaching around the world. These are people that are making a living, living anywhere, all over the world, but they're working online. And there's some very uh, proven uh, successful tactics and strategies that online uh, business people and uh, and marketers use that um, that have proven very well across any industry. So I thought to myself, like, I've been following this for years, and I'm very in, inspired by them. That I go, let me take what I've been learning and then apply it to independent filmmaking. So, but when I call it independent filmmaking, I really feel like Film Trooper is sort of this um, is meant to be. Uh, like a, a soapbox for those independent filmmakers that are not of the Hollywood um, 
circle. You know, they're not working in Hollywood in that respect. They're not even working in the the independent film, uh, you know, film market world. This is like the uber independent filmmaker, the backyard filmmaker. These these are people all over the world that have access to some camera and some other audio gear, and they have gear, and they're making films, and they want to know how do they sell that film online, and or how do you make a how do you make a sustainable living out of it? So that's really what Film Trooper is about. And then this Google Hangout show, Film Marketing Fridays, was designed to sort of just be a conversations piece like we're having right now. I just wanted to open it up to the world to, to just have discussions about uh, film marketing in the world of independent filmmaking. Because my thought was the film production is no longer a barrier because anybody can make a film because of the tools, the cameras, the editing, everything is so inexpensive but so good, you know? And then film distribution of late, of the last two years or so, is no longer a barrier. Um, you could take your film that you make and you could pick any one of these different um, di direct distribution platforms and get your film put up and they have the interface in place where customers come, come to the site or come to your website and easily click you know, put their credit card information or whatever it is, and they can watch it, and they could use it on their watch it on their iPhones or, or their smartphones and throw it up to their TV, or use like you know the digital media players like Apple TV and Roku Box and that kind of stuff to watch your film. And so the customer has the same experience. They can worldwide they can get access to your film. So that's no longer a barrier. So what is the last barrier is being heard above the noise. Because if there's so much content out there, how do you, you know, stand out? How do you, you know, make your money back? How do you make a living um, doing what you love, which is just making films of all sorts? And so that's what Film Marketing Fridays was uh, created for, was to have a discussion piece and trying to figure out real tactics and real strategies that the uber indie backyard filmmaker can um, apply. Because I didn't really see that in a lot of the different spaces that we were, you know, we're looking at in terms of the blogs I read. It's usually about like the film festival darlings, uh, somebody who's been in the, the Hollywood business for a long time, you know, but I'm, but I was looking at ways like, wait a minute, there's a lot of great internet marketing uh, lessons to be learned that could be applied to your independent film digital product. And so that's sort of this discussion here. So today's, um, hangout was to discuss this concept. Will Netflix, um, you know, rip the heart out of uh, international pre-sales, and what does that mean to the that world of independent film that relied so much for so long on re, on securing those types of pre-sales to fund their projects? Where are they going to fund, you know, their their projects? And so there are discussion together about your crowdfunding suggestion was simply to say, look you have the greatest access because if you are a car enthusiast yourself, you can reach out you know, with the right strategy plan to other car enthusiasts and figure out a way to create your project. Again, it doesn't have to be like a documentary. It could be a horror film, but as long as it has some a unique angle that appeases that core audience that may be car enthusiasts, you can build in your crowdfunding platform a, uh, a basically a product launch sequence that allows you to raise enough money to make your product, but also build in there a profit 
just like business people will do. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm just asking if I build this product, will you pay for it? Some, and you have enough people to say, yes, I'll pay for it. And you already built in your profit. And so that's the concept of today's episode is really to think about those types of things. So I don't know if that kind of helps. And I am up here in Portland, Oregon, way over <laughs> on the, the, the West Coast. Um, I was in Southern California all my life. We moved up here about four years ago. And one of the reasons um, was that I always felt like I could make films anywhere and make and make a living anywhere. So I actually do uh, make a part time. Uh, I make a part time living up here as an actor and uh, uh, sometimes model. Usually the model is the before model. If they're going to use some guy who's going to eat a lot of cookies, that's the kind of model that I am. I won't take. <laughs> I won't take my shirt off. If I take my shirt off, it's like the before guy. Before the the after guy is the guy with the rip rip abs. That's not going to be me. So so I make a part time doing that, and I also do. Um, I make money. Um, uh, freelancing doing we just got off like this animation job recently and you know video production and so on but my focus 100% is uh, the last few months has been film trooper as I'm trying to build this up as a uh, useful very valuable resource for independent filmmakers around the world and so that's been my focus so I hope that kind of sums up you're like okay who's this guy <laughs> Yeah, it was like uh, I was reading like filming, and then you completely got me. I was like, oh, okay, it's interesting. Let's go inside and look how much people are talking or what he's talking about. And it was really interesting to hear all the different stuff, also from uh, other sides, um, not even from the totally last side that I am the whole time. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 really interesting. Um, I will start reading um, on the page some more information pretty soon. Um, I don't know if you're um, if you're um, closing the live hangout, if you um, will stay here for a while or completely close it afterwards. Or oh well, I my I I plan to. Um, we're actually moving to this new house, and so I'm as soon as we get settled into like the new house. And then I, I plan to use like every Friday. I, I want this to be a regular thing. So, mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to get a chance to to utilize Google Hangouts for the power that it can be, which is have multiple filmmakers on at any given time where we just have discussion. So I just I would love to 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 turn into a place of um, you know real world discussions and really trying to figure out how to solve some problems. It's almost like creating a uh, impromptu meetup or a mastermind group, you know, people coming together and we're, you know, sharing this idea and we could do it, you know, virtually and we could do it around the world. And um, the cool thing about, you know, Hangouts is that you can still show visuals. So it's, it becomes almost, again, like a loose webinar. Like if you go to, you know, sometimes you'll see online, like sign up for this webinar and, and an hour will teach you how to do this marketing tactic or whatever it might be. So this is sort of a loose form of that. So that that's uh, as we close up here. Usually I run these hangouts about an hour, but this is a unique situation where you just chimed in. I thought it was great, and so this is exactly what I would hope film uh, film marketing Fridays would be would become. Is something just somebody go, hey, hey, I'm here, let's talk. So um, yeah, so the cool thing is is that you know we do the hangout and it turns into a YouTube video, right? So then it becomes evergreen. It just exists out there. So somebody later on might stumble across this 
but it might say maybe a year later they stumble across this. And then, you know, say you're on the, the show or you're here with me and somebody sees your progress and like you, you're from these, you know, get togethers, um, it helps steer your project where you need to be or somebody gets introduced to you by this. Like, Hey, I saw you talking on film marketing Friday. Let's talk. I'm a huge car enthusiast and I definitely want to get to Germany or whatever it might be. You guys might connect or whatever it might be. So, um, those are the types of things I hope to see uh, transpire with this whole effort with Film Marketing Fridays. I don't know if that helps uh, clarify it, but yeah. Um, of course, if you want to, I can try to publish Film Marketing Friday a little bit more in uh, Germany, like also Film Troopers, so you get more like oh, yeah. films on the page. It's no yeah. problem. Hey, I'm going to shoot you um, my email so you can um, email me and I can send you some other stuff here. You should Let me know. Do you see that come in? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, give that a shot. I got to wrap it up here because I got to um, – I actually got to still do some moving tonight. <laughs> we got our big move, house move this weekend, so there's still a bunch of little loose ends I got to take care of. But um, it was a – it's a – it's a pleasure, super pleasure to have you just stop by. And um, like I said, I'll follow up with you later in the emails. And uh, I love to see some of your work that you, especially the DVD that you, you said you, that you were making and you sold and uh, hear more about that story. That sounds, that sounds really, really interesting. Maybe if you're um, Removing the, the the live part of the Hangout so we can uh, talk off yeah. air for a second. Yeah, I'm going to stop the broadcast and let me, let me finish up this real quick. Um, I always do this. Hold on a second. Uh, 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 uh. This goes like this. Okay, here we go. Um, hangouts. Come here. Okay, so... We're going to wrap up Film Marketing Fridays for this uh, August 22nd. And as a lot of you know, um, I offer this free gift over at freegearguide.com. This is in a free equipment list of everything that I use to make a feature film for $500 with no crew. And so you can check out more about that at freegearguide.com. And... Um, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm going to have this little off-air conversation with Alex um, from Germany. It's super fantastic for everybody stopping by. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you guys again next Friday.